1: Thanks, Pat. Uh, Welcome back to Tip Today. A listener says, friend, this government uh, they're throwing money at everything all of the time. Talking now of offering €800 to people to take in Ukrainian refugees. Who's paying for all of this? We're over a quarter of a trillion in debt and uh, they're giving out grants at local level for this and that, all borrowed money, no mention of paying anything off for a huge debt at the recent budget. And while I'm at it, what's the thinking on extending opening hours in pubs and nightclubs? Absolute madness. Won't be too many of these out that late going to work the next. Well, our Emma will be out, that's for sure. More uh, drink driving and antisocial behaviour. More in the government's thinking to be going after insurance companies charging crazy prices to these pub owners. Uh, Then they wouldn't have to stay Stay open so late to make ends meet. I enjoy the shows. This is one of our listeners. Well, thank you very much indeed for that. Now, Teresa gave her reaction this morning to accusations from the Ukrainian ambassador that Ireland needs to do more to house all of the refugees coming in to the country. We're on air every weekday morning from nine. And this is Teresa just after nine this morning.
0: She really insulted the Irish people. I mean, how dare she say that we should do more? I don't think any other country in the world would have done what we have done so far to help them. Well, what does she want to do? If they're unacceptable, it's an easy answer. Leave them where they are. I'm not being rude in this answer. We have enough to deal with. How many families are on the threshold of trying to keep their accommodation, their own houses, going? And I see today the mortgage interest has gone up by 75%, which is a €600 per year cost again. I mean, we're we're at we're at our wit's end. I think Micheál Martin needs to get out among Irish people and among the Ukraine people and realise what is there. It looks as if Ireland is going to be put into a civil war. We're going to fight against each other when we shouldn't be. But people are getting racist because they feel they're being treated wrong. And I mean that's the way mm. I look at it. They're already divided. Are they? There's an awful lot of people at this moment saying, why are we doing this so much? We're happy to take so many and deal with so many and get them sorted. But now there's so many coming in and our own Irish are there. There were 70 people in Ireland died homeless on the streets this year. I mean, look, if we don't look after what's here, how can we look after someone else?
1: And that's Teresa speaking to us this morning just after nine o'clock every weekday morning from nine here, Tip Today.
0: Legal discussion on tip today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors, Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com.
1: John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors is with me. I nearly pressed the wrong button there, John. I nearly you? give you credit for being a health item or something You probably
2: out like late last
1: night, <laughs> you see. <laughs> I can't wait for the nightclubs to open <laughs> until
2: six, like yourself. But it's about time that yes. they overhauled the licensing laws. Do you they're, think so? Oh, they're, they're such a mishmash of rules that it's long overdue to overhaul them and make them consistent. I mean, they've obviously grabbed the most, surprisingly enough, the most kind of the headline of it all about the opening hours and closing hours, which we all know. You would find very few people in the pub. Poor old publicans would be delighted if they had anybody there at half twelve.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, The interesting thing, though, and the point was made in the office this morning, um, will people not just leave it later to go out? But but
2: that's what they've been doing, apparently, Yeah. yeah. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I was always fascinated as to what would happen post-COVID with the pub, you know. Mm-hmm. You remember all the conversation during COVID was that the Irish tradition of going to the pub would die as a result of, you know, people realising that you can drink at home or that there are other options. But mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that that has happened. Mm-hmm. I'm not know? too sure about that. Yeah, I think for I some know.
1: people, they, they got into the habit of having a few cans at home or yeah, something. Yeah. Anyway. You're going to talk to us today anyway about trusts, Yes. Yes, what are trusts? What are
2: trusts? Well, they were something that were created. There was two kind of strands of law at the outset. This is a very kind of a short version of it. But there were kind of two strands of law initially when when the law started to gather momentum as a kind of a a formal formal type of way of dealing with problems within any kind of country and it all started in the UK of course with what we call the common law and you had kind of two strands, you had the legal strand, strictly legal principles and then you have what they call equity principles and the legal principles were a rule is a rule is a rule if you break it you break it kind of thing and then they introduced what they call equity so people often talk about equity I think in in common speech as you know being equitable or Mm. being fair or whatever but they introduced the principle of equity and they created certain things within that principle of equity and one of the things that they created were trusts and trusts are basically mechanisms where you can kind of create kind of a forward planning type of model that will enable you to do various things that you can't do, you know, that you can't plan for. So, for example, where what I'm talking about in terms of a trust is it's basically a legal document that appoints two people that will take care of property for a period of time or take care of cash for a period of time or take care of any asset for a period of time, hold it, Uh, and then distribute it Mm. to either specific individuals or any individuals that they choose. Mm. So that's kind of Would we know
1: it best as somebody coming of age until somebody comes of age? Something like that, exactly.
2: But it's for all sorts of reasons. But, I mean, uh, it's used very much now in uh, the area of kind of succession planning and wills. But you don't have to do it in a will. You can do it outside a will. In other words, you can do it during your lifetime or you could do it on death, if you know what I mean. Mm. The one that people would commonly kind of be a, be familiar with is that when you come in and you have young children and you make a will and you come in to me and you make a will and you say, well, you appoint trustees, you appoint guardians for your children, you appoint trustees f- for your children and... They're not so much trustees for your children, but they are, the children will ultimately benefit from mm. the trust. Mm. So, and it's something that, if you like, the trigger is your death, and when you die, then the trust comes into being. So the trust isn't really in being per se, it's it's ready to, to come into play as soon as you die. Mm. And what so, is, is the trust
1: the sum of money?
2: Trust could be anything, you know. You Good. can put anything into a trust, right? And that sounds really very, very yeah. wide. But it could but be you property, can put share I guess. properties, a yeah. business. You can put anything that has a legal uh, entity mm. into a trust. So, but commonly, what you put, I mean, commonly, what you put into a trust is whatever you have. Mm. So, you might say, I, I, I hereby make my will and in my will um, I I leave everything to my wife and if my wife and I die together or if she dies before me then this trust will come into effect and this trust then means that these two named individuals will hold the assets, whatever I have, in trust for my children. What's a very um, useful, it's a very useful mechanism to deal with the situation of of minor children as you say when people come of age mm. but i think what interests me much more in the context of of a trust isn't so much the one that that i've commonly done down the years which is the the trust for the children and as you say when they come of age and then you have the discussion between you know what happens between Uh, Let's say they come of age, so you're between 18 and 21, or you might defer till 25 or whatever, and you put it into a trust. But that's that's what we call a fixed trust. In other words, it's fairly fixed as to what's going to happen. You appoint two individuals who hold the property until the youngest child comes of age. Mm. So effectively what they do is they mind it for the kids until the children come to a certain age. That's a fixed trust. There's the other one, which is a discretionary trust, not to mention secret trusts and half-secret trusts, which which are different things altogether. I mean, I always think about secret trusts and half-secret trusts. A half-secret trust, I don't think I've ever done a half-secret trust. What is I don't it? think I've ever done a secret trust. But... A, when you're studying trust law, mm. you're t- they talk about secret and half secret trust. A uh, secret trust would be where I say I leave my, uh, I leave you my car, Fran. So mm. I leave my Mercedes to Fran, but I t- I tell you, Fran. Oh, by the way, I'm only putting it in the will that I'm giving it to you, but I'm actually giving it to my son, uh, Michael. Uh, but I don't want the other son to know that I'm giving it to the car. So I'm setting up this secret trust. So I'm, oh. I'm telling you to give it to him kind of thing. A half-secret trust would be where you say in the well, I'm giving it to Fran in trust. So you actually tell whoever's reading the will that you actually are not given a to but you haven't told them who you're giving to. That's a half-secret trust. Never done it. Um, can't imagine uh, yeah. why you might do it, but I'm sure yeah. there are well, It's an option for people. It's so. an option, but an interesting one. Yeah. But it could make for very interesting wow. will reading. But the, but the other one is the discretionary trust. Now, the discretionary trust is an is a really, really very versatile type of legal mechanism because a discretionary trust is what it sounds like. It's discretionary. So what you do is you appoint trustees, you set up a trust, you put your assets into the trust, and then you basically give the trustees a discretion as to how they're going to deal with it. So in other words, you might have a situation where... And you know, commonly it comes up where you might want to skip a generation, for example, Mm. for one reason or another. So you know, you might have. uh, It's always Johnny. Johnny mightn't be very good with money. He might be a little bit uh, free with the old, being up at six o'clock in the morning and the nightclubs when they open. And so, therefore, what you what you do is you might set up a discretionary trust for him. And that effectively means that the control of the funds, the funds or whatever it is, are outside his control and they're in the control of trustees. So they basically manage it. So it's a way of keeping an eye on that situation. But it's also very, very useful in the situation where you're dealing with special needs children, for example, and you want to look after them. I mean, and that's very, very uh, prevalent because in that situation, you know, a lot of parents as you can imagine with special needs children have huge concerns as to what you know, will happen when they're no longer able Absolutely. To, to look after the child and the child is an adult because obviously you can't to appoint uh, guardians for an adult child mm. under a will if you know what i mean so in that situation you would appoint trustees and the trustees and the the benefit of setting up a discretionary trust because, like everything else, when you're talking about these situations, you always have to be aware of the tax implications, which let's just park it just for a second. But in the case of um, special needs children, you can actually set up a trust for that individual or individuals and that has the benefit of not attracting the usual taxes that apply in the case of discretionary trust because there are taxes, as you know. We all know there are taxes, mm. but there are certainly taxes because discretionary trust used to be huge, very, very useful for ways of kind of deferring tax or avoiding, not evading, by the way, but avoiding tax. Mm-hmm. Because we all know evading tax isn't, you can't evade it, you can you avoid cannot. it. as best you can. But um, it avoids, so, you know, things like income tax and whatever. So they've introduced surcharges. If you hold on to to income within a trust, they've introduced uh, a kind of a 20% tax on trustees, so when when there's income in there, you have to pay that. They've introduced um, basically tax within the model of trust and often can put people off Mm. from trust, but it still doesn't take away from how efficient and effective it is. It gives you a certain amount of control over assets because you see, as I said to you, you can have a trust that will activate or come into being if, it's not, sorry, it isn't an if, it's a when you die uh, but of course the if is that the children if it was for children for example they might be of age by the time mm. the trust might be relevant in which case it's no longer relevant but in the case of a trust where it isn't your standard fixed trust and it's a discretionary trust the trust will come into being in those circumstances and it could deal with adult children. So the other thing that comes, that where I've kind of had reason to use it Uh, recently, you know, over the last period of time is with the introduction of divorce in Ireland has introduced an extra layer to interactions, if you know financial Mm. interactions within families and a trust is a very um, useful mechanism of dealing with where you might have concerns in that area. Now, I have to put the usual caution on that is that the courts do have a discretion to look at trusts but at the same time, it is a way of managing these things and giving you a certain amount mm. of flexibility. I'm just I'm, I don't think I've
1: on. heard anything yet that makes it completely different from a will, though, John. I mean, is it
2: completely different? Is yeah, it? It, well, for, for starters, it it literally kicks in after the will is, after you've died. Right. So therefore, it, it's a separate legal Entity, if you like, or a mechanism that comes into play. So it's obviously doing
1: stuff that can't be coped with.
2: Well, you see, the will, the will, a will will simply say, do this, do that, do the other, give so and so this, gives whatever. Whereas a trust says, okay, I want little Johnny and I want Mary to benefit, but I want the trustees to manage how they benefit. Okay. So it's a way of controlling the outcome. If you know what I mean, yes, and managing yeah. it right. So, for example, in a lifetime trust, you know, because I always say to people that when you're doing succession planning, and this is, I had this, somebody threw this question up to me, which is the usual question that, that you would expect, you know, much does it cost to make will? And I, say, and I always say, well, it depends on what kind of a will you're talking about. Mm. But I think we often underestimate, and myself included how much thought has to go into succession planning and how many things you have to take into account but I often say to people you know, there's kind of three boxes that I have when I'm looking at succession planning. The first box that I look at is having enough in that box to look after yourself so before you start trying to do any succession planning and looking to the future and looking at mechanisms like trust and things like that you need to ensure that that there 's enough there to look after yourself, yes, of and because we we're, we're're we're living thankfully a lot longer now that 's a very serious kind of forward planning cash flow mm. scenario. But assuming that you 've done that, and that 's that's sorted out, the next thing then is to try and see what you can do during your lifetime rather than leave it to a will, which is back to your you know your question what 's the difference between a trust mm. in a will and a will per se. But you have a lifetime trust that you can do as well. So during your lifetime, you can actually look after uh, whoever it is you might want to benefit. And the idea of that and the benefit of that is that you are able to give people your children, I mean often it's children, Mm. and let's just give that example, that you can release funds to them when they need it as opposed to... When you die, and I mean, yes. in my case, I'm going, to wait, I'm going to be I'm going to be 100 when I go, so my kids will be equally <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be almost <laughs> retired. So yes. the idea, from my point of view, is the second box. i.e. try and have facilities to release funds to your to your children during the course of your lifetime when they might need it, and a discretionary trust is a very very useful vehicle for that because you can release capital sums. True a trust, but but the beauty of it is uh, is that you can manage it. So you could be, for example, you could I could be one of the trustees in this lifetime trust, which means I maintain control. So in the case of family businesses, that's a very good way of dealing with that situation Mm. Mm. because you maintain control, but at the same time you're able to benefit uh, the people that you want to benefit. But I mean, the reality of it is that you know trustees. In a discretion trust, have absolute discretion. So, and that's mm. the one important what, what, thing. You need what to happens think about it. the
1: qualifications of the trustees? Because you could well have a large sum of money that might correct. need managing of some
2: correct, kind. Correct, correct. Yeah. Which is uh, that's a very good question and it's a question somebody asked me. Only Friday we were talking about this, and we were, I was discussing it with the client. And I was saying, in the case of where there's a substantial funds, or if there are substantial assets. Or if there 's a business involved uh, which was the case here, the client said to me but you're you know who am I going to appoint to do that? And I said, Well, you can obviously have professionals uh, as trustees, and that is the situation that you 'd be looking at in that scenario because obviously, if there 's a sum of money and you need to make sure mm. you, can, you know because we we often think when we 're doing wills and appointing trustees and appointing guardians. In the case of a trust, you can ap- apply what they call a protector, and the protector has the role, if you like, of protecting the assets in the trust or guiding the trustees as to how they might do something, etc. So, but and don't forget as well that obviously trustees will have the the ability, not never mind the ability, they will have the wherewithal to look to professionals for advice, because when you're dealing with trusts. Again, when you're dealing with all of anything to do with business or management funds or whatever, you're going to have to have access to a various number of kind of mm. experts that are going to deal with it. I mean, there's very few people I think that you could put into a position that would know all aspects of a trust without consulting you know of course that's very interesting um if it's a lifetime trust
1: I presume you can add to the content of the trust all yeah, of the time can you you can... correct correct yeah.
2: correct and i mean what you what you would what you would be the kind of mechanisms of a trust is that you what you would always ask people to do um, is to do a letter of wishes because you see because it's a discretionary trust And because you're giving the discretion entirely to the trustees as to how, I mean, like it's a big decision to make. But it's also that, as you say, it's really important who you appoint as the trustees. Now, obviously, trustees have a responsibility Mm. to carry out the trust in a way that's not negligent and that there's no fraud or whatever. But Mm. leaving that aside for a second. I mean, you wouldn't be setting up a trust without having very clear instructions to the trustees. So part of the exercise would be sitting down and literally documenting what exactly it is you'd want to achieve in it, you know? It's
1: very interesting indeed. John, it's always a pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors uh, today talking about trusts. Uh, We'll take a break back in a moment.